You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Good morning. Uh-huh. You're probably asking yourself right now, where is Elliot's beard? Why did he shave? Right? Springtime's coming. Second, you're probably also asking yourself, why is Elliot in a canoe this morning? I'll tell you why. Because I think, personal opinion, personal opinion, you can debate me later, I think that as far as man-powered watercrafts go, the canoe is the superior instrument, right? Now, now some of you might be fans of the kayak, and please don't, like, later on be like, oh, cool kayak. It's not a kayak, it's a canoe, all right? Kayak is where one person sits in this little, like, plastic thing, and they have the, the paddle that has on both sides, and like, this one, right? Like, the, the canoe is the classier, like, for the traditional woodsman, where you row with the gentle stroke. We're not going to get in a hurry, and yet we're still going to move fast. None of this like, oh, oh, rad, right? Like that's not the, the lifestyle of a canoe. This is why I've chosen a canoe also, because this just, just was given to me uh, free, and now it sits in my yard for most of the time. Uh, but, but I thought I'd talk to you today about canoe. The reason this sits in my yard most of the time is because a canoe is an instrument designed for more than one person. And the problem that I have is usually I'm the only one that ever wants to go canoeing with me. Uh, I don't have anybody. anybody else. Like later on today, we can go out. We'll find a place. But the canoe is designed for, for more than one person. Now, you can use a canoe. You can operate this craft with just one person. But it's kind of like a special, a, a spe- it, takes, it takes a skill, right? So with a canoe, typically you'd have one person in the back, like I would be, rowing, right? And they'd have one person in the front rowing, typically on the opposite side of the boat they would be rowing, so that it's kind of evened out. And then the person in the back, not only are you the power, but you're sort of steering, you, you act as the rudder. Now, it's possible to do it with one person, but it gets a little more tricky. To be one person in a canoe, you usually want to be down somewhere towards, like, the middle of the boat. And you're not going to use just your typical, like, straight back stroke. You're going to use what they call, ready for this, a J stroke. I'm helping you out today. The J stroke is called that because it's in the shape of a J, like when you're riding a J. So you're going to paddle down and then bring it back to yourself, right? Or wait, which way does a J go? I forget which way even right. I think you paddle down and bring it back to yourself, and you sort of curve the blade as you go. And what this does is it keeps you going straight. Whereas if I just paddled on this side, the canoe's going to be going to the right side, right? If I just paddle on the left side, it's going to start going to the left side. And this takes a lot of time to try and paddle on both. So you need a special stroke. That's one thing you need to know about trying to use a canoe as a solo person. There's just one person. The other part that gets really difficult about a canoe, and I'm only going to demonstrate some of this this morning, uh, is trying to move the canoe around by yourself gets just a little bit tricky, right? Because you have to kind of get under it. And, and typically, like, what will happen, some of them are even made so that, like, you get inside the canoe. Like, you lift it over your head. I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, but you can lift it up just as one person, and now we're carrying it, right? And this is, is, is possible, but it's not easy, right? And see, you can see here now, like, this is why people just, nobody sits front row in Discovery. Now we know why, but see, I've got this, and what'll happen is it, it's not light. So as my weight goes backwards, like my body wants to start like carrying backwards, and then as it goes forward, my body wants to start going forward. Now imagine that, like with just me trying to load this canoe, not just carry it by myself, but imagine me then trying to put it on top of my car by myself, right? Like so I'm underneath this thing and then trying to lift it on the car and not destroy the top of our car, which luckily my wife isn't very tall to see whether it's been destroyed or not. But that is some of the complications we run into with the canoe. Because a canoe is not designed 
for solo navigation. A canoe is designed for more than one person, at least two people, sometimes three or more. Now, why did I go to the trouble of bringing my canoe this morning and playing around with it today? Because the canoe is like the church in that... Excuse me, I am winded just from doing that. Like, again, the canoe is not designed for solo navigation. But like that, the same thing is true for the Christian life. The Christian life is not intended for solo navigation. And beyond that, the church was not designed for solo navigation. And that becomes very clear in Acts chapter 6. So we've been going through the book of Acts. It starts out with Jesus talking to the disciples right before he leaves earth. And as Jesus goes, his last words to them, the commission he gives them is this in Acts 1.8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be my witness. He doesn't say like his last words, like, here's what I want you guys to do. Just love each other. I'm gone. Right? Like that's not what Jesus did. He said, be my witnesses. There's a job to do. His last words were giving his apostles, his followers, an objective. To be his witness. Which is kind of a legal term. Sometimes we sort of read that and just think it's like being a spectator or an observer. I was a witness. But it's a legal term. If you're a witness on the witness stand, what are you going to bring before the court? Your testimony. And that's a big part of being a witness. It's not just about seeing. It's about talking and telling what you have seen. And that's what Jesus charges his disciples with as he leaves. I want you to tell people what you have seen. And so then we see from there the church begins to grow, just like he said, throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we've kind of moved a little bit past Jerusalem as we get to Acts chapter 6. And we're a little bit into Judea, but we haven't gotten all the way out yet. But we see that the church, this body of believers, is still in its infancy stage. So it's grown at Pentecost, it got bigger, and then as the disciples preached and taught and did miracles, it got even bigger. And so now we have a bigger church, there's thousands of people that are part of this movement now, but it's still in its infancy beginning stage. Have you ever seen an infant like trying to learn to walk, right? Like those first like toddling steps and just like a dog barks and they fall over, right? Our son Levi, like he's, he's young and he's not to walking yet, but he can just now kind of pull himself up on things and the other day he tried to pull himself up on a chair and Levi's a little sturdy he was heavier than the chair and pulled the chair over on top of himself and there was blood and tears and it just was not a good thing he's okay but that's what happens when you're an infant trying to walk like the littlest things will topple you right the same thing is true for an infant organization right like a business that has just begun will not survive like big financial hardship a business that has not begun will not survive big mistakes right It'll it'll be toppled over. The same thing might be true for a relationship. Think of like your first date. There are things that you can say in a marriage that you would never want to say on a first date, right? Like just imagine first date having to say, can you bring me some toilet paper? That would just topple the relationship, right? Like relationship over, like that's it, no second date, we'll see it. But in a marriage, like this is commonplace, right? Like don't y'all lie, you know you've been there. Things that we may be able to withstand further into the future as something progresses, we can't always withstand at the beginning. And this is true of the church in its infancy stage. And yet, in the previous three chapters of Acts, Acts chapters 3 through 6, we see that the church has had many attacks. I would say spiritual attacks upon it. And we've gone through those attacks these last couple of weeks. We looked at how Peter and John were arrested. They were put in jail overnight. 
We saw how the apostles last week, Matt talked about this, all of them were arrested. They were beaten and then they were released. We saw how Ananias and Sapphira began lying. Some of the believers within the church began lying and kind of being hypocrites. These things in an organization in its infancy stage, these attacks could easily have toppled the church and yet it didn't. So we see attacks of oppression. We see attacks of corruption you know, from Ananias and Sapphira. And now in chapter six, we get to what I think is maybe the biggest attack yet and maybe the most dangerous, and that is of dissension. That now we start to see a little bit of disagreement, a little bit of discord arrive in the body of the believers. And so read with me verse one of Acts chapter six. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up. It says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now I want to look at this idea of this complaint that arose. This is more than just one guy being like, hey, I noticed like she didn't get fed in this, like I'm not happy about it. This was kind of the talk of the day. Like this was the, the negative, like, I don't know what you call it. Like this is a negative talk. That word complaint is the same word in the New Testament that was used in the Old Testament for when the disciples are out in the wilderness and they start grumbling against the food they're eating and grumbling against Moses. That was the complaint that arose at that time and God treated that complaint by uh, burning some of them up on fire. You can look at that in Numbers. But that's what's happening now, again, in the early church as a complaint arises, this grumbling happens again. And so this complaint arises that these widows are not being fed the same as these other widows. And widows at this time, this would have been like the poorest of their community because these would be women whose husbands had passed away but most likely also didn't have any other family members to rely upon. And being a society where women didn't work, they had no options. They had no way to put food on their table. And so they relied upon this new community of believers. In fact, we see how that worked out in Acts chapter 4, uh, 34 through 35. We read this a couple weeks ago. There was no needy person among them, against, among the Christians. For as many of them were owners of land and houses, they sold them and they, they brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid that at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. That's the distribution that's talked about here, this daily distribution. So you would sell a field, bring the money to the apostles. The apostles would help divvy up that money and those supplies to people in need like the widows. And so now there's a complaint that the Hellenist widows are not getting fed the same way that the Hebrew widows are. And I'll just explain some of that because we may not know what that means. The Hellenists would have been kind of Greek-speaking Jewish people. Greek-speaking people that probably descended from those that after in the Old Testament we hear of the exile and all of Israel had to leave, like days of Daniel and Babylon and all that, that they stayed outside of the area of Palestine when the exile was over. When Ezra and Nehemiah and those cats were able to come back into Jerusalem and start rebuilding, they stayed outside of the Palestinian area. And so they're Jewish people but they spoke Greek and they've adopted Greek culture. And then we have the Hebraic Jews, the Jews that spoke Hebrew, and they, their parents, grandparents, moved back into the area of Palestine when the exile was over. And so they lived within this area and they can maintained their Hebrew culture. And so they might have thought of themselves as maybe a little bit more pure, a little more above that, whereas we have the, the Hellenistic Jews that are maybe just a little diluted culturally. That might be the perspective of a Jewish person that grew up in Jerusalem. And so we have this kind of disagreement arise that these people aren't getting fed the same way as, as these people are. And maybe it's because they spoke different languages. Maybe it's because there was some other stuff going on. We don't really know, but it seems that it wasn't being done the best way. 
I'd just like to point out that the first problem, the first major bit of friction that we see in the church is rooted in racial and cultural tension, which in 2019, like, that's just foreign to us, right? Like, we don't understand that at all. Like, glad they had to deal with it, not us. But, but that's where we see these beginning problems begin to rise. And so they bring this to the apostles, and here's how the apostles respond. Verse 2, it says, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, so they gather everybody. They don't just make this decision and go on. They gather everybody. They have a big old meeting about it. And it says, the disciples said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devout ourselves, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I think we read this and we get to this line and kind of get stuck on it. It's like, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And that might sound just a little bit like high and mighty from the disciples, right? But I don't think we're reading that correctly because nowhere in this do they say that serving tables is below us. They're just saying we can't stop what we're doing to do this other job. They're not saying my job of preaching the word, that's the most important thing. Like that's what we should be doing. They're just saying we can't stop this one thing that's important to do this other thing that is important. There's no argument about which is more important. The argument that arises is how do we do both of these things the right way? So we don't have like the disciples standing up and saying like, Jesus washed my feet and you expect me to go out and serve people? My feet were washed by Jesus, right? Like that's not what we see from them throughout the Bible. I don't think that's the way this sentence should be taken. But basically what we see here is there's kind of two aspects of ministry that are being discussed and, and what is the best way to go about both of these aspects. Now, where did that come from? Because again, there's no discussion of as the church, what should we be doing? They have a recognition that we need to be preaching the word and serving people, helping those in need. How did they come up with that idea? Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus demonstrated, and now they're just doing what Jesus did. Jesus fed the hungry. We see him do it on multiple occasions, feeding the 5,000. We see Jesus healing people, caring for people that were sick. But he's constantly preaching and teaching as he goes. So the early church adopts this. There's no discussion of what is ministry, what should we do. It is we're going to preach the word and we're going to help those in need. That's what we should do because that's what Jesus did. And I'd like to just point out here in this that if we look at the, the Greek of this, if we look at the, the Greek word of how this works out, the word that is used to, to translate into ministry or into service is a Greek word called diakonia. Everybody say diakonia. Very good, very good class. And, and this is used three times. If there's like a, th a theme word for these six or so verses, uh, it would be diakonia. It comes up in three different verses. Verse 6-1, the daily distribution. That word distribution is diakonia. So it's the idea of the daily service, the daily distribution, the daily ministry. And then verse 2, serving tables. That word serve, should we serve tables, is diakonia. Again, the idea of serving and ministering. And then 6-4, when they talk about we can't stop ministering the word, the ministry of the word, diakonia is the word used for ministry right here. So in our language, we've kind of split this idea of ministry and service. But in the original language, it was the same word, diakonia. Ministry was the same thing. And I worry in the same way, maybe in our church in America, sometimes we split this idea of ministry and service and say like, well, preaching the word and doing like pastor kind of that stuff, that is what ministry is. But helping people is also what Jesus did. Serving people in need, that is also 
ministry. I don't know how they've become separated for us, but I think that they have. And in the recent history of America, I think maybe we focused more on one and not as much on the other in the church. Maybe for a long time we've focused too much on the preaching of the word and not enough neglected the other. And we'll say, like, we just, you know, we just want to help people meet Jesus. We'll find people, help them meet Jesus, help this drug addict meet Jesus. But then they meet Jesus and they're still addicted to drugs. And we neglect to help them. And we just find these people that are hungry and get them spiritually fed and we spiritually feed them. But then do we also help take care of them physically? For the apostles, there was no separation. Both needed to happen. Why? Because for Jesus, there was no separation. And so I think we're also in a time now where the pendulum kind of swings, right? And, and movements that are helping people are gaining more popularity and more and more ministries are cropping up that are incredible and they're helping people and it's awesome, helping feed people, helping people get out of addiction. And, and I could hear some critics to that saying, yeah, but like, are we telling them about Jesus? And I think that's a great comment. I think that's something to watch out for that as we help people, we don't neglect the preaching of the word. But as we preach the word, we don't neglect helping people. Because in the Greek, it's the same word. In Jesus's mind, both were ministry. None was more important. Both needed to happen. So then as a, a church, as we model after the early believers, we've got to come to the same conclusion that, man, both are important. Both are critical to happen to the Tri-Cities. The Tri-Cities needs to hear the word of God. We need to have the ministry of teaching in the Tri-Cities, but we also need to help people in the Tri-Cities. The ministry of service also needs to happen here. And so the disciples have this, this problem. This has been brought to them. And I, I just want to point out that with this idea, nowhere in all of this talk is there anywhere that says that only certain people can do parts of this ministry, right? Nowhere does it say that ministry is only pastors and only certain people are called to be pastors and then everything else, like, you're not a minister. I kind of grew up, like, in youth groups, like, that's all we thought of is, like, if you want to be a, the best Christian, you got to be a pastor or a missionary, right? That's not really something that's found in the Bible, but there's the idea among these early believers that all are ministering together. You're giving, and then people are being helped with what you give. They're just figuring out how to organize this. And so it says right here in Acts chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, this was their plan. After they came together, they're going to divvy up these tasks. It says, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and, Tar and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And so we see, we've tried to emulate a little bit of that this morning. And bringing our elders up, we found more people that we were trying to say, like, these are people that really demonstrate, like, leadership. These are people that demonstrate the best of us and we want them to be as our leaders. And so just like Stephen had hands laid on him this morning, Jeff Blaylock had hands laid on him to commission him in, in ministry and service to the church. And so again, the idea isn't that there's only pastors and then missionaries. The idea is that all of us are together working on this ministry, this concept of ministry together. We're all called to ministry. And that ministry includes preaching the word and serving people. And we see that in the life of Stephen. Stephen is kind of the only one that we uh, hear about later. Or we hear about Philip also, but it's also one of the few names in that whole list that like we have named our kids after, like I would like to just submit to you, like, Nicanor, if you're thinking of naming a baby, right? Like, it kind of sounds like a dwarf, doesn't it? Like, Nicanor, son of Gimli. But, like, here, we, if we look at Stephen, this one guy, the reason we know that name as opposed to the others is that Stephen goes on in the next section 
to do more than just serving tables. He's commissioned with serving tables, but then we hear about him working miracles and wonders. It says this in uh, Acts 6, 8. It says that Stephen was full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then we see he's arrested for that, and then he starts preaching and teaching the word. So the guy that was commissioned just with serving tables, he starts getting out of his lane and preaching the word. The reason being because there is no lane. We are all commissioned with ministry, and ministry involves preaching the word and helping others, and we all have to do it together. Ministry, church, the kingdom of God is not designed for solo navigation. It's designed for many people. The church is not meant to be a kayak. It should be a canoe, or better yet, a dragon boat. You all familiar with the dragon boat? The dragon boat, I've just found recently about the dragon boat. I brought a video for you. Roll my, my dragon boat footage in the back. There we go. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the dragon boat. It's just like a canoe, only it's massive. And they put a dragon on the front of it because that's awesome. And there are 22 people as opposed to just two or three. Now I have 22 people in this dragon boat. Same initiative, same objective. To get from point A to point B as fast as possible. But now we've got 20 people powering the vessel. Now let me show you a little bit of how this works. I've got some side screens to sort of illustrate it to you. On the back, you're gonna notice the drummer. The drummer's job is to beat out the pace that everyone rose to. So he's thumping, thumping, thumping. And you know, when you hear that thump, you're gonna stroke, right? And he's also shouting encouragements to everybody there saying, hey, let's do faster, like boom, boom, boom. Then in the front of the boat, we've got our pacers. These are six people that they're setting the pace of the boat. As they fire out there, everybody behind them is watching them and trying to match their oar strokes. And then behind them, we have the engine. This is our stamina for the race. These six people in the middle in the engine, or I'm sorry, eight people, their job is the stamina to carry them through the race. So the pace setters, they're really working hard at the beginning of the race. The middle of the boat is really working hard at the middle of the race. And then we've got the engine, the, the last like kind of six guys, or I'm sorry, the rockets in the very back. You can guess what their job is. Their job is just to rocket things, right? Like if there's a burst of speed needed, like there's a boat right next to us, we're right at the finish line, the rocket starts digging hard and they're pushing that boat a little bit further. Then the very back, the last person is the steersman or also the sweep. And he's got the big udder, one big oar that helps guide and direct them. He's responsible not just for where the boat goes, but the safety of the boat. Because everybody else, they're just focusing on paddling. He is guiding this boat where it goes. So the idea is if you're sitting down in this boat, you're just watching the paddle in front of you and you're matching their stroke as they go and you're getting encouraged from the drummer shouting out these commands. I think that is an incredible picture of what ministry and the church should be. Each of us have different roles, different pieces of it, but we all share the same objective of being Christ's witness, of helping people on this earth just like Jesus did. And we're trying to move our craft together in these different positions. If you looked at this, we could kind of find an analogy just for our church. And maybe you find better places for other people. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to argue about that. But I would argue or say maybe that the drummer would be the pastor, right? Matt would be our drummer. He is setting the pace. He is shouting encouragements at us, telling us how fast we should be going, telling, helping us when we're getting tired. He's encouraging us, right? Like, that would be, I'd say, the job of the pastor. The elders that we brought up today, I would say they're the steersmen. They function as trying to help guide this church and also protect it. And with that, protect the other people in the boat, protecting the pastor, protecting the rowers. That, what I would say, is the job of the elders, figuring out where is this body going to go? What happens if this danger comes up on this side? How do we handle that? And then the rest of us are just moving this boat forward, right? Now, if we only had a pastor and elders, how far is this dragon boat going to go? They don't even have paddles, right? 
This is not going to go anywhere. It takes the people in the boat to start moving this forward. So one way we could look at that and say, like, ah, well, like, I go to church, like, Sunday, and that's pretty much it. Like, the rest is just the pastors and the elders do that. Like, this boat's going to go nowhere, right? So I think we need to stop looking at our Christian life as maybe trying to navigate life in a kayak, but navigating life together in a dragon boat. I would encourage us to not look at discovery as just this is one thing that a few people are in leadership, they kind of run. We are all running this and pushing this towards the common goal of helping people find Jesus and their place in his story. Now, that's my analogy for this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's got a better one in 1 Corinthians. And you've heard this. You've heard um, this talked about. And I just want to go through this quickly. Paul uses the analogy of a body. Instead of a boat, he says we're a body with one member. Or one member with one body with many members. Sorry. See, his is really confusing. Mine was simple, right? Take that, Paul. Uh, So chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, for just as the body, us, is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks and slaves and free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Which this is kind of a funny picture, right? Like just imagine like one ankle. Like and that's the body, just going down the street, just one ankle. He says it's not just one member, it's many. And he says, if the foot should say, which is also just hilarious because the foot doesn't have a mouth. But if the foot should say, because if I'm, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is the analogy Paul shows us. Again, we're a body. We have common goals in mind, but we have different things that we need to do as a part of that body. You can't just have like one cheek and be like, ah, I'm just a cheek. I'm not important. I'm out of here. Like, oh, I'm just a nostril. Like, you guys don't need me, right? Like, well, how are we going to smell? How are we going to sneeze if we don't have a nostril, right? Like, I don't even want to imagine that. It'd be painful, right? We need every bit of the body for this machine to move forward, for the objective of the body to function. And that's the same for the church. We're not just one member, we're a body. We're not a kayak, we're a dragon boat. And you could look at that analogy and say, yeah, but I think like, you know, you talked about like the steersman being the elders. Like, well, I think it should be like the Holy Spirit would be the steersman, right? Ah, I got you there. Paul says this at the end of this chapter. He says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he says, all of these, all the different parts in the boat, all the different parts of the body are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the spirit's not just one part of the boat, not just one part of the body. Every member of the body has the spirit. Every member of the boat has the Holy Spirit, that fire that fell, the presence of God. So that all of us are equipped to do the ministry and we can all do it better together. We can all move from point A to point B better than just one person sitting in a boat and trying to move that forward. And so we see this with Stephen. Again, he he demonstrates this. And we see the, the church kind of gets past this one trial of dissension that rose among them that could have easily toppled this whole body. And when we at Discovery, you saw it with the elders, you see it in other things we do. We've tried to adopt this as best we can. Do we always get it right? Maybe not. But we've tried to adopt this as best we can so that our ministry of Discovery isn't just about teaching. That sometimes becomes the focus 
But it's not just about teaching the word. We think that's greatly important, but we can't just have preaching. We also need to help people and serve one another. And so we have things like Sent to Serve, which is coming up on the fifth Sunday of this month, a couple Sundays away. And the idea being here is you may say, like, well, I'm not good with words. I can't read the Bible. I ain't been to school. I can't do the teaching. I don't need to be in the boat. Not right. Because we need more people that are good at other things. Have you ever seen me try to do, like, any amount of construction? It's awful. Like, I, it shouldn't happen. Like, my wife will attest to that. So I need other people when that kind of service arrives to help me with that. And so Sent to Serve is one of the ways that we try to make this happen. And on your, your chair, you're going to see a Sent to Serve list. And we're going to ask you this morning, if you're willing, if you want to participate in being in our boat, a part of this body, to help us serve our community by picking one of these ways and then just dropping it at the connection point counter later. So you're going to see on here some of the many ways that you can help out. First off, on Friday, March 29th, it's not the Sunday, it's a Friday night, we've got a foster parents night out. We're trying to do more and more helping foster parents in our area. We found a discovery. We've got a lot of people that have taken in foster kids themselves, and we are set up easily to help foster parents because they can't just get any old babysitter. There's a lot of motions that have to go through that, but our church can provide for them that service. So Friday night on March 29th from 5.30 to 9.30, we're going to need volunteers so that from 5 to 9, we can invite these foster parents in just to drop their kids, and then we care for kids. So you may say, like, I ain't good at teaching, but can you open a pack of crackers? That's what we need on that night. Like people that can open crackers for kids, right? Then on Sunday morning, instead of coming here, we're going to come here at first, have a mini worship service. Then we're going to go out all over the community to these different locations. One is the Broadmoor Assisted Living Center. If you're good at just hanging out with old folks, that's you right here. If you like it, if you, if you find a way, like you have a way to talk to them, you get a kick out of it, that's for you. Just hanging out with old folks at Broadmoor. Hope House is an organization that helps pregnant women and new mothers. If you kind of have that passion, this might be a great place for you to serve. Or even if you don't have that passion, if you're good with construction, they need minor construction. I think there was some flooding that happened that they have some repairs to do at the Hope House. Haven of Rest is a homeless shelter in our area that serves multiple people and serves multiple meals a day in the Bristol region. And the way they support that ministry is through a thrift store over there you can find downtown. And so what they need is people just to help them sort gear at the thrift store and get it up ready to sell. So if you have the spiritual gift of rummaging, this is you, right? Like, and you know who you are when I say that word. You like the rummage sale, right? And you're calling your friends on Saturday and mapping out, like, saw this sign, yard sale there, yard sale there. We need those people just to help us rummage through this stuff in the warehouse and get it ready to sell at the Haven of Rest. There's Healing Hands. They provide health care for people without insurance. If you feel kind of drawn to that, you might want to help out here. If you don't feel drawn to that, but you are good at construction and yard work, they can use you. The East Tennessee Christian Home helps at-risk adolescent girls and their families. And I know none of us understand adolescent girls, right? Like, so you don't have to understand them to do this. They just need some painting and landscape. So if you understand a, a paintbrush and a rake, you can be used here. And then we have another site that's just community outreach. And that's going to be right here in our building. Behind that curtain is a bunch of stuff that Hope House needs cleaned up that's been donated to them. We also have dental packets for healing hands that are going to be assembled. And we really recommend this as a site if you have like little kids that you can put in childcare. They're not going to help out with yard work and things like that. You can put them in the nursery and then you can come work here. Um, if you don't have little kids, we'd encourage you just to go to another site this time. That site last time kind of just got overwhelmed with too many people. So we need to spread out into our community with this. And there's even a, a slot on there for other. If you have other passions or see other needs that you'd like to submit as a sent to serve site. We'd love to have those suggestions. We're always looking for places that we can serve. But this right here is just one small way that we've tried to emulate what Jesus set up in helping people. We think we need to not only teach the word and preach to people, but we need to help people. 
We need to make sure it doesn't get out of balance, that we're only helping and not talking about Jesus. We're trying to do both. And one person or just a few people can't do that. So I'd say to you this morning, if your walk with God, if your idea of being a Christian is just a Sunday morning thing where you come and you go and nothing else is really happening, I would politely say that I think you're doing it wrong. You're in a boat that's not going to be getting you anywhere. You've got to be with the many members of the body, all working towards the common goal of preaching Jesus and helping people in the Tri-Cities, helping people find Jesus and their place in his story. So we, we read all this, and I want to close out with just one final picture to give us one last example of our, our focus on this. Because I think too often we just focus on pastor or missionary, this idea like or an elder, like those are the only ones that are actual ministers. I want to show you a picture. This coming up on the center screen behind me is a picture that you've probably seen before from July 21st, 1969, when the first man set foot on the... The moon. This is from the moon landing. That's actually a picture of Buzz Aldrin's footprint. He was the second man on the moon, followed like he was right behind Neil Armstrong. And when we look at the moon landing, we kind of think of those two guys, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. But there was a third guy that was up there in space that day. Anybody remember his name? Oh, Oh, poor Michael Collins, right? Michael Collins was up in the lunar module as they went down. He had to be by himself for those hours that they were on the moon so that he could send them out and then later receive them again. But then behind those three astronauts, there were three more of a backup crew. In case something happened to any one of them, the backup crew could replace them. Behind the backup crew, if something happened to the backup crew, was the support crew. Behind the support crew was the grounds crew and all the communicators and all the flight commanders. Each flight commander that could talk to the shuttle but had a whole team of people behind them. Teams of surgeons and people that knew like flight trajectory and all of these things so that they could talk to one person and then that one person would talk to the astronauts. So then finally mankind could put the first foot on the moon. It's estimated that to put one man on the moon, working in the Apollo program, it took 400,000 men and women working in the Apollo program to finally put humankind on the moon. That's a great picture of ministry. It takes all of us to reach one person. It may take all of us together with our different gifts and abilities to share Christ with one person, to help one person get into a better situation. It's going to take every one of us. And we see that when the apostles adopted this idea, Acts 6 verse 7 tells us that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests, the very people that had been oppressing and persecuting them, even the priests became obedient to the faith because they decided this is ministry, teaching about Jesus and helping people and it can't just be on the backs of a few of us. We all share it together. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you have set us up with your Holy Spirit, with unique gifts and abilities and passions and ways that we can serve. And that the service we do, God, isn't just limited to very few things, but, but it is everything that involves talking about you and helping others. And God, I pray you would help us to be well balanced in that service, that we not get too far in one direction, that we never neglect the other that we never neglect teaching and talking about you, and we never neglect helping people here at Discovery. And I also pray that you would just help us to see, God, that we have a place in the boat. Even if it's just volunteering on a Sunday morning to shake hands at the door, or going out on sent to serve, God, or just finding somebody in the church that needs prayer. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to see that we are a part of that body. We have your spirit powering us. And together we're all in one boat moving after your objective, which is sharing your word, your truth, and helping people in our world. We thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us to be up to that task. It's in your name.